На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We reconvene at a little bit of a different time this week due to some of the European fixtures that took place involving Russian clubs within the middle of the week. We'll be recapping all of three of those games, as well as unpacking what was a exciting weekend in the RPL last weekend. Now, this will be released at the during the events of match day 12 um, on the Saturday. Last night, Dinamo did defeat Kim, Himke 4-1 with a nice hat-trick of assists from uh, Arsen Zaharian. And that was a... A wonderful performance, but we won't be unpacking that this week. We will be discussing the RPL games of match day 11, just as a quick clarification at the start. And that would was in, including Arsenal's win over Zenit, the Spartak Dinamo Moscow derby, another Sochi win, and Krilia keeping up their good form. But to get straight into the European games first, uh, Spartak played Leicester City at the Otkritia Arena, on Wednesday afternoon, it was at 3.30 in Wednesday in UK time, so it did make it a little bit of a difficult one for those uh, watching in Britain and in the United States time zones to keep up to date with. But anyway, Spartak raced off to a 2-0 lead with goals from Alexander Sobolev and Jordan Larson. Uh, matching up Leicester, both teams playing a back three. Quite a wide open game, both getting some enjoyment in behind. Patson Daka got one back for Leicester just before half time. And then in the second half, it all fell apart for Spartak as Patson Daka then scored three more goals. And you did see a mask off celebration, which has been customary in Moscow over the last few years or so. And usually it's Quincy Promise, but this time it was Daka after he completed his hat trick. Um, and Alexander Sobolev did get a late consolation goal but it ended 4-3 to Leicester City. So I watched this one myself. Um, I've seen, first of all, I think it's addressing the elephant in the room. Um, I've seen a disappointing reaction from the Spartak fans at the game and some reprehensible stuff since regarding Jordan Larson's kneeling in joining the Leicester players. I think it's quite clear that the footballers themselves have made the clarification that they choose to do so purely for attempting equality. They do not do so out of disrespect to any country or their anthem. They do not do so out of any political allegiance. It's purely for a plea for equality and raising awareness of the plight that they believe in. Um, for those who are maybe unaware, when Larson did kneel and take in solidarity with the Leicester players who kneeled before every game, um, he was booed in the stadium by a section of the Spartak fans. You can probably all guess which section. Of course, it was the Ultras. And then after the game, said same Ultras had a anti-Jordan Larson uh, graffiti, I believe it was, in which they were... Um, abusing him for doing so. Um, I would just like to say that while lots of people have different views upon the kneel, the kneel, I think it's, as I said before, it's clear why these players do it themselves. 
And I think the reaction to what happened exacerbates the wider opinion that pervades regarding Russian football and exactly this small minority of how they reacted in the booing, in the threats online and in the awful graffiti have are pervading opinion elsewhere in the West and feeding some news outlets with uh, thoughts of racism, basically. Um, there's no place for it. There shouldn't be any place for it whatsoever. And the irony is, is this is exactly why Larson knelt. And personally, if I was him, I would continue to do so. But that was the kind of elephant in the room that I think we'll have to address first. Um, so full solidarity with Jordan Larson, of course, who himself, if we move on to the game, did score. Uh, he was last season's top scorer for uh, Spartak in the RPL. And I thought he had a very good first half, especially alongside Sobolev and Moses. Um, it combined really nicely to take advantage of some large gaps in behind Leicester's defence. Both sides in the first half actually played very open and very attacking. It was a very entertaining game throughout, actually. And uh, it was mistakes by Daniel Amate for the second goal where he and um, Luke Thomas at left wing back. Victor Moses was easy just to track it back to Larson. Um, and Alexander Sobolev's first goal caught Kasper Schmeichel out totally by surprise when he thought he was going to cross, caught him wrong-footed and crept in the near post. So Spartak did race to a 2-0 lead and were very good for it at the time as well. I thought uh, Roman Zobnin started the game quite strongly. Zelimkin Bakayev, the pair of them, pressing well. But there was an early warning of things to come quite early on in the game, actually, before Sobolev's opener. Uh, in the ninth minute, James Madison was totally free in midfield um, and played the ball over the top for Daka, who was running behind Nikolai Raskasov, probably keep note of that for later on, and put the ball over the bar. Now, in the second half, Unfortunately, Nikolai Raskasov was involved in pretty much every single goal. Um, two of them in the second half were directly as a result of his lax defending and concentration. Once again, it was yeah, Spartak's midfield opened up. The defence pushed very high on. Raskasov positionally all over the place and Pats and Daka again just ran off the back of him. Uh, and that's essentially a carbon copy of three of the four Leicester goals on the night. Now, David, I'll try and stop my monologue here, but you've been a little bit critical of this decision to play Raskazov on the right of a three by Rue Vittoria. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we know that his limit, his options were limited. Um, Kofi was suspended from the Napoli game and uh, as, a, as a result of the, the limit, um, he's then limited to not the uh, the best choice of players. Um, Kutepov, Gaponov, Luke Vignov, uh, the only centre-backs available. So it's only natural then that he, he played a right-back um, who is renowned for being an attacking right-back with not very good defensive abilities uh, at centre-half. You know, a wise move from Vittoria. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you've got Kutepov. He's very experienced. Yes, he's not consistent, but he's experienced and I think would have been a better better position, a uh, better pick for that role. Um, and, it, you know, it cost them. Um, and you could tell that you could tell that Raskazov was not uh, or is not a centre half in in that game. Uh, you know, we we know that they've got injury problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, uh, Hendricks is out in centre mid, so Litvinov is playing there uh, alongside Zobnin. Um, but then we can go back and say, well, they didn't replace Crow when he left in the summer. Yeah. Um, or they let him go too late, maybe at the very least. Um, so you know, it's it's a it's a catalogue of errors basically that led to this man being picked for a game which he's not fit for. And I don't mean that in terms of fitness; I mean in terms of ability. But it's not the first time it's happened. You know, in the in the qualifiers, we saw Lomovitsky playing a full game against Benfica on the wing. Um, because all of Spartak's wingers were unavailable for whatever reason. Um, and we saw him play left-back in one of the Europa League games against Legia Warsaw um, for, the, for similar reasons. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's the same point that we've hammered on about for, for God knows how long now, you know, the limit forcing inadequate players to be used in, in games of high calibre, and it's why Russia are, are slipping down the, the uh, coefficients and, you know, we can come back to coefficients at another point, but I think it'll ultimately, um, they're falling into a place where actually they're going to suit the level a bit better. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I agree. This is born out of, and, and a problem born from the limit being poorly handled, uh, Spartak's dreadful transfer window, and just a lack of general effective direction from the very top of the football club, top down. But just to quickly approach the limits. Now, it's well known that our few president, Alexander Dukov, is not a fan of the limit whatsoever. Um, he's previously stated that you'll find he's not quite sure how it would be, they would be able to get rid of it in its entirety because of the support for it. And that was found right when the club's voted for and against it and there was actually quite a big mix of what to do um but one general is that most of the european clubs were pretty spoke spoke against it and and Dukov, he himself said that uh, i am against the limits i think we will come to a cancellation the reason for it is clear it's in place due to the ineffective work of the academy system um today the limit is not the factor that creates the main problems there are other other problems. Now, I agree that this is not the factor that creates the main problems in the game domestically, without a shadow of a doubt. But I think the limit is the one one of the biggest pressing factors that's stopping, that is causing, like you said, David, this slide down the coefficients. It's when you get these injuries, like Maslow in Maslow's injury, and then you've got an option of Litvinov who's woefully inexperienced, Raskasov, who's not a good enough defender at right-back, never mind at right-centre-back against recent Premier League title-winning winners, Leicester. Uh, 
Ilya Kutupov, who's the most error-prone defender in Russia, and Andrei Yashenka, who's about to turn 38, hasn't played a single minute and is essentially only in the squad as a experience option to help some of the younger guys through. Ilya Kosolov is out on loan in the Finna L. Uh, Ilya Gapanov, I personally think, would have been a better option than Raskazov, although he's likewise inexperienced, similar to Litvinov. He's at least would be playing in his natural position. So that one injury to Maslov, that one suspension to Korfri, which could happen at any time, has caused an absolute selection headache of ridiculous proportions because of Spartak's awful window, because they've got a rudderless direction from the very top, and because of the limit. It's just trying to pick between a rock and a hard place of who you actually want to play there, because you just know that the 90% of them are going to cock up in similar ways that Raskasov did. So I don't want to put place it too much on him as a player, because all players make mistakes, all players have days off. The problem's above him, but at the same time, you can't not leave that out, because one player scored four goals that he was directly marking throughout the game, and three of those were direct faults of him. So it's not... The issue is wider than just Nikolai Raskasov, but it was still a horrific performance. Um, Richard, what, what do you think about this this uh, general conversation of the limit in Raskasov and Spartak? Yeah, it's just, you know... <laughs> Like like we both like we both said, it's just like a broken record. We go on about all the time with the limit, and yeah, like you said, second any of the Russian teams get injuries. I think when they the, when their full starting elevens are fit, they can put out a decent side. I mean, still not absolutely brilliant, but they can put out a decent side. But then straight away you get injuries, like like you mentioned, you're having to put, sometimes put square pegs in round holes, like you know, um, Lomovitsky at left back against Legia, and and yeah, I mean, I saw highlights of the Spartak game and. Yeah, pretty much the, the third and fourth goal, you know, his positioning was just all over the place, you know, just left Dakar in too much space and, you know, Leicester's players just found him and he just zipped past West Cars off and, and finished really well. I think, I think, I think, um, our statsman Alexi said that, uh, Dakar is the first player to score four goals against Spartak, um, by any, any other opposing team, um, which, you know, is quite a remarkable statistic, um, and, you only have to look at his goal record with RB <laughs> Salzburg over the last few years that you, you, you literally, you can't let, you can't make errors like that against a player of his calibre and quality in, in Dakar. You know, he looks a really good striker, looks like a ready-made replacement for Jamie Vardy. Um, and yeah, just Spartak, it's it's not looking good for them, is it? I mean, probably the only thing you might say with this group is that maybe Legia won't win another game until they play Spartak on match day six. So it might, they might still have a chance of getting third place in this group, but because they lost at home in, to Mos- in Moscow to Legia, it's going to be very, very mm. difficult now for them to, you know, get through. They're going to have to go away and win. And that's conditional upon Legia not winning a game because they've had two home games now and lost them both. And that that's really crucial in a tight, in what, what was predicted to be a really difficult and tight group. You've got to, you've got to be getting points at home. If you don't, then you're going to be struggling. So, but yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because when you're 2-0 up and the performances, to be fair, under Vittoria recently and results had been getting a little bit better for Spartak. But yeah, um, just another way of being 2-0 up, really. You shouldn't you shouldn't be losing that game at 2-0 up. And it's frustrating that they let that go in just before half-time because that would have changed every, could have changed everything if they'd gone in at 2-0 up, you know. Mm. Um, it could have been a different game. But 
yeah, just disappointing. Um, and yeah, just I really hope the limit has there actually been any news on what the limit's going to be yet because we were all thinking that it was going to be decided August time when we were all talking about it on one of the pods, and I've heard literally nothing about it, which is puzzling, let's just say. <laughs> There's rumours still flying about, but as far as I'm aware, the clubs haven't con- uh, got together a thought on anything concrete just yet. But I, I agree. I think you can't be dropping points 2 0 up at home, to literally 2 0 up like two minutes before half time at home in this in this competition, or you will be finishing bottom of the group if you continually do that. I've got a bigger question as to why Spartak approached the game in the way they did once they were 2-0 up. Now, perhaps Vittoria didn't have faith in an inexperienced Litvinov and out-of-position Raskarsov to shut up shop to keep it solid against Leicester, but all of Leicester's best chances came from exposing Spartak's high defensive line by flooding the midfield, by bullying Litvinov and Zobnin. Granted, Yuri Tiedemann's Bubakari Sumare and James Madison are a far higher level, far, far higher level than Spartak's midfield. So that's understandable to an extent. But if you're 2-0 up against Leicester, who are a far better side, and you're at home in a vital European fixture, surely you don't then continually like play this suicidally, suicidally high line? Riskazov and Gijo... At one point, we're like 34, 40 yards up the pitch when the 2 0 up. I don't understand why. Was this Vittoria's instructions or was it the players not listening? It just doesn't make sense why they didn't retreat, try and keep it solid. And especially after the fact that by three minutes into the second half, it's 2 2. And Dhaka has, I mean, by then had already scored twice on the counter attack. As soon as Larson scores, you shut up shop, you keep it solid, you try and get in at half time, 2 0 up. That, like you said, Richard, totally changes the outlook of the game. And then three minutes later, the, everything that they had did well is just shot totally out of the window. And then for the second, I can imagine after that, they, they felt like they had to get the goal and go for the win to try and, like you said, Richard, stay in the group because of that result against Legia earlier on. And then just fell apart from there. It just doesn't make any sense why they approached the second half in the way that they did. And I thought that was the the biggest undoing on the night. To be frank, it was it, it wasn't just Raskazov's mistakes or Gijo's general pretty poor performance. It was the approach in the second half. It was for the entirety of it. It just mind boggling, to be quite honest. But that's Bartak out the way. Um, a depressing game. <laughs> David, you kept an eye on Zenit versus Juventus, which took place at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. Yeah, I did. Um, maybe even more depressing. A harder one to take. Hmm. Um, obviously, the final score was 1-0 to, to Juventus. But, uh, you know, they Zenit really deserved the point that they were going for. Um it wasn't the best game. Uh, there was not many chances created throughout. Juve weren't very good. Um, Zenit going forward weren't also that good, but they had openings, particularly in the first half. They had some good openings. Um, the, the main chances I can think of were, you know, slightly longer range chances. Um, 
but they have you know they did have them um and yeah you know it was getting i, I ruined myself because i was I literally thought about 30 seconds before you they scored in the 85th minute i thought you know zenit really deserved a point here nil nil um because you they hadn't done really anything to to show that he deserved the win uh whereas zenit had Defended well and had got forward and had given Juve uh, some problems. Um, Claudinho in particular was was excellent, one of the best players on the pitch, let alone just in a Zenit shirt. Um, he he had tested Chesney a couple of times in in goal. Um, the first half in particular was a really good effort that he had. Um, so yeah, so then for them to to go and concede a, a late a late losing goal. Um, in poor fashion, you know, it was just a cross lumped in. Kulishevsky just nips in between two defenders. Lovren was, had been dragged near following a man, and there was a big gap that Kulishevsky could run into. I don't know who was meant to be tracking him, but it was not good marking from Zenit in general, you know, to allow that free run. And he just got a glancing header on it, went in at the back post. And, uh, and that was that. At that point, Zenit had made a couple of. Mm, not defense minded, but they not defense minded changes. They actually had made more attack minded changes because uh, Juba had not had a very effective game. Uh, I think Hanu had messaged me and said that he had nineteen touches and most of them were inside his own half or something like that. Um, and that his heat map looked more like a centre back than a striker, um, which I didn't look at myself, but I did laugh. Um, but they brought Asmoon on, and he had a couple of openings quite. Um, Early on, after coming on in the second half, where he got slipped through on goal or you know in, into the channels and sent away. Um, so yeah, they really they really deserved something from the game because Juve weren't up to it. You know, they I was chatting to a Juve fan afterwards. They've been on poor form, um, so they were really happy that they managed to scrape a result from from that performance, which you know wasn't particularly uh, impressive. And you know, it was a home game for as any. Um, and three points would have been really nice, you know, to make, to maybe try and challenge for the top two spots. Um, it, it seems unlikely at this point now. Um, obviously, having already won against Malmo, all they've got to do is avoid, you know, and they won convincingly against Malmo. So, providing that Malmo don't win any of their other games against Juve or Chelsea, all they have to do now is avoid losing a massive defeat to Malmo in the final fixture because they won, what, 4-0 at home? So all they've got to do is avoid losing 5-0 to Malmo, and they should have third place, you know, sorted. Um, under the assumption that Malmo are going to lose every fixture, which seems likely uh, against Chelsea and Juve, because um, it seems likely because they look poor. So they're in a good position to get out of the group, I think. Um, you know, they've, Zenit have in general had a, a not embarrassing campaign. You know, they put on a really good display at Chelsea, where they, again, conceded just one goal, uh, an unfortunate goal header from the cross, whereas Chistikov's marking was not particularly good and Kvitsuk in goal. Roundly beat Malmo, and then, uh, you know, deserved a point here against against Juve, uh, but come away with nothing, thanks to just a, a late lapse of concentration. But in general, you know, I think so far, their campaign, rather than only got three points from it, we have to consider the opposition they're up against, you know. You've got the Champions League holders and the reigning champions of Italy. Granted, they're without uh, 
No, they're not even the reigning champions, are they? But, uh, you know, one of the biggest clubs in Italy. Sans Ronaldo, obviously, but still a big club. Um, so we have to remember that the opposition they're against, they're, they're putting in a good good effort. You know, if we, if we were to compare it maybe to last year's group, last year they had, what, Lyon, Benfica and some other team, Belgium team, Club Bruges. Like, that that group, we were very disappointed in their performances because that's a competitive group where they had chances. I'm sure that's the group. I can't remember if that was the, that's the exact competition. But they, they should have come out of that group with something and they came born. This group... The expectations were lower. Obviously, they're no longer a top seed, um, right? Or Juve, the no, they can't be in the top seed. Anyway, mm. they're not the top seed anymore. So you know, the group is going to be trickier for them. Um, and it is obviously they they have some tougher opposition. So the fact they're putting in some respectable performances, and I know you're going to come onto this. Um, you know, I I don't going back to Spartak. I don't necessarily think that's a. Uh, Unrespectable result is that even a word? Disrespectful result against Leicester. They they've scored three goals against Leicester. Um, let's yeah. not discredit them. They going forward, they went for it, and you know they had they put all they could into it. And you know they were two 0 up after forty something minutes. Um, you know it was. Granted, I, I didn't see the game like, like you guys. I was I was uh, unable to watch, but I think Zenit deserve credit for what they've done so far. And I think. Uh, they were unlucky on Wednesday. I think Spartak deserves some credit for the performance, especially going forward against Leicester. You know, they scored three goals against Leicester. United couldn't do that on the previous weekend. They, they lost 4-2. So, um, you know, it was just half of Spartak's game that let them down. Uh, and I think Zenit are doing okay and look like they should be, uh, should be comfortable going through here. Yeah, I think... I agree. Three score quickly on Spartak Leicester. Three goals against Leicester is is creditable. Definitely, it's it's no mean feat. But it's the everything else. It's the, the reaction after going two 0 up, which is so disappointing. Um, Zenit was kind of the opposite. Zenit was like everything was so right for eighty six minutes. Yes, they had a few little scares here or there. Um, they didn't necessarily have the most attacking intent, but they are playing Juventus. It's totally understandable that the way they played and the way they set up shop and it almost worked if not for that that late Kulusevsky goal which is such a shame I was really impressed by Claudinho I thought he has been what Spartak desperate uh, sorry Spartak what Zenit desperately needed in European football he's came in and he's, he's looked like a real class above what Driussi was and I, I like I quite liked Seba Driussi he was decent but the, spot, the impact level that Claudinho is having in this competition in particular is just incomparable to what Triusi did in the competition. So I think he's been, he was spot, uh, Zenit's best attacker on the night by quite some distance. Um, although the best performer, in my opinion, was Douglas Santos again, who is just the absolute beacon of consistency. Um, this, uh, yeah, we were right there last year. It was Dortmund, Lazio, Brugger and Zenit and Bruges and Zenit. And I think that's just, it's like you said, it's because of the expectation, because they were group winners. Ironically, there are arguably, the expectation is, is lower and they might find it easier being third seeds as they were or whatever. They're, 
because you go in against games like Chelsea and and Juve with nothing to lose. And a one nil against Juve, a late one nil, is fine is not ideal, of course. You would like to get the point, but it's definitely respectable and I agree. I think they probably will go through quite easily, even though it is dropping down in the Europa League. I can't imagine getting into the next stage, the Champions League ahead of UV at Chelsea. Richard, any last words on Zenit? Yeah, just um, of this game, I echo those thoughts about Douglas Santos. I thought he was very, very good. It was noteworthy as well how in the few attacks, I mean, it was a game of few chances overall. I think, you know, both defences overall defended very well in this game. Um, the attacks were kept large, kept quite quiet for large periods. But I did notice that, yeah, a lot of Juve's attacks were coming down the right. I think they took Karavayev off for um, for Sutomin, I think, partway through the second half. So that just shows you that Santos had a good game down the left. They weren't threatening too much down that side, Juve. Um, I would say it's an interesting one, this Champions League group for, for, um, for Zenit, isn't it? Because obviously... You probably argued if the two highest, even though they were top seeded, the last two groups in the Champions League, you know those groups were sort of groups where they had a chance of going through, but also a chance of coming last in the group because you know Leipzig, Benfica, and um, I think it was Lyon were in the group two years ago, and then Lazio, Dortmund, and Bruges. So there was every chance they could go through from those two groups, but every chance they could go out as well. With this one. Okay, they're not top seeded now. They've got two harder opponents in Chelsea and Juve compared to you know Dortmund and Lazio or you know um, Leon and Benfica, but uh, or Leon and Leipzig. But they've 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 traded it for a weaker fourth seed because you know I definitely think Malmo are a weaker fourth seed than Bruges, considerably weaker. Um, so at least you know this this draw does actually give them a chance of finishing third in this group and like say. P- p- barring a complete disaster away in Malmo, they should at least finish third in this group. And I have been, you know, quite impressed with Zenit overall in this Champions League campaign. You know, they've, they've basically lost 1-0 twice through just a lapse in concentration defensively, just one big lapse in concentration defensively in a game. That's it um, in both the games. So they certainly deserve credit for that. I do agree with Zuba um, that I don't, I don't think he had a particularly good game. There was one moment in the first half when... I think he got clear down the down the channel and he was just too slow with his decision-making. I think there was players just getting up in support and just a bit too slow finding them with a pass. And then Matej Di Chilio, obviously being a fullback, is a lot quicker than he is. He got back and nipped the ball off him. Um, I agree with Claudinho. I think he had an excellent game. Nearly caught Chesney out with that shot that he had. I think Chesney was just going away from it and he just managed to get a, a hand on it. Um I have to say, from Zenit's point of view, though, the timing of playing Juventus was a bit unfortunate because I remember early in the season they were dropping points. They just lost, I think, just before match day one of um, the Champions League. They they'd lost one 0 at home to Empoli, and I think I think Napoli had beaten them, you know, two uh, one away in Serie A as well. Um, and had they played Juve first game when they were on bad form at the start of the season. I actually feel Zenit might have won that. The timing of the game didn't work in their favour because, to refer to Juve, even though they've been a bit, they've been functional rather than flamboyant under Max Allegri. And credit to Allegri, he's a brilliant coach. He's reviving them after a difficult start. Um, I think they've won all their games this season, Juventus, by a single goal because obviously they're trying to adapt post Ronaldo and gone back to being solid at the back defensively. So, and they have, I think they're about seven or eight unbeaten in all games. 
So, yeah, I really wish Zenit would have had Juve on match day one. But obviously, you can't think like that. Obviously, you know, it, it comes when it comes. But yeah, I think I think Zenit have been much better this season in Europe. They're the one Russian club at the minute who you'd think can compete in something like the Europa League. If they drop into the Europa League and play like they did against Chelsea and Juve, I think they could win maybe a round or two and maybe get to the quarterfinals. I think that certainly is a possibility. Signing of Claudinho has been a good positive. So, a disappointing result, but overall, much better than last year. Um, Ferdus to Samak, he stepped it up in Europe this season. We call for it, and he's done just that. So, um, But yeah, just frustrating to lose it at the end like that. Um, but yeah, much improved from last season from Zenit. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's why it's twofold. Yes, Leicester were a difficult opponent for Spartak equally as much as probably Juve Alpha Zenit. But I think we're giving Zenit more leeway because of the improvement, market improvement that you're seeing at this level. Uh, last year, they were incompetitive in what was a competitive, uncompetitive in what was a competitive group. Like David said, you had Dortmund on 13 points, Lazio on 10, Bruges on 8, and then Zenit were way back on 1. In arguably an easier group, or certainly an easier group with all four combined. Um, so because of that, I think it's easy to have a little bit of leeway for Zenit, even though it was a very difficult result to take after 86 minutes of excellent defensive football. Um, it, it, it's a shame, but if we do move on now from the other later kickoff game and to Moscow. Uh, Loco lost 1-0 at home to Galatasaray on Thursday evening. It was the first game in charge for Marcus Gisdol. Uh, Richard, you've spoke quite a lot about Gisdol, so I'll jump straight back to yourself. Uh, what do you think about Loco's performance and their approach under Gisdol in this game? Well, it was more attacking than what we've seen under um, Nikolic, um, for sure. Um, thought the first half of it was good from Loco. I thought they played quite well first half. Um, there was one moment where I think Marid Ashvili had a shot. It went just wide of the post, and I think it was set up by a really good run from um, Guiano Kirk. So there was some more attacking intent comparative to, to Nikolic's reign that we saw in, in the first half, especially in this game. Um, they were trying to get the ball through the through the lines quicker, quicker transitions in attack. Um, but then second half, it faded really badly. I think Gala, Galatasaray really took control of the game in the second half, and I think the, 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 the victory was deserved over Loco. Um, was concerning to see them fade like they did in the second half. Um, you know, Gala just got all over them in midfield. Um so yeah, the approach from Gisdol has been a contrast to um, to Nikolic, but but yeah, even with a more positive approach, I think Loco looked pretty toothless up front. Really, um, I thought Theodor Smoloff didn't particularly have a good game. There was a couple of moments when they got near the final third of Galatasaray, and that final pass that he was laying off to Jemaletdinov and um, and Giano Kirk in support, and maybe one of the midfielders as well was not great. Um, I thought Alexis Beckerbeck had a good first half, but then a, very, a poor second half. You know, a couple of times when he gave the ball away in midfield, and that allowed Gala to pick it up quickly. And you know, they they got at Loco's centre back pairing of Tinyed by and Pablo, who I thought had both had very good games. Um, 
So, yeah, just a contrast, a game of contrasts, really, I would say. A decent to good first half from Loco, but then a, a, a poor second half. And that poor second half, um, it, it cost him in the end. Um, I'll give the Galatasaray's defence a lot of credit. I thought Victor Nelson and Marco, the centre-backs, were both very good for Galatasaray. Um, much in the same way that Matthias De Ligt and Leonardo Bonucci were good for Juventus against Zenit. Uh, so a bit unfortunate in that regard, but the, the attack was a bit toothless, I must admit. Um, Gemma Dinov was probably the best of um, Loco's attacking players. So a more positive approach on the Gisdol, but was concerning how it faded so much in the second half compared to the first. And again, it's another classic example like Sparta. That's two home games now that um, Lokomotiv have had and they've not taken a win from them. So progression in this group now is going to be very, very difficult. Um, and Galatasaray have surprised everybody so far. I was kind of expecting them and Loco to be fighting out for third, but, you know, they're top of the group and playing well. Um, so, you know, Lokomotiv are going to have to go away to Marseille and away to to um, the Turk Telecom Arena in Istanbul. And they've, they've got to really be looking at trying to win one of those games and then possibly try and get a draw, beat Lazio. It's not looking great for them, got to say, um, and concerning how that second half performance really faded away. Um, mm. But yeah, n- not not brilliant so far from Gisdol, I have to say. They had to come back from two, we'll get onto this later, they had to come back from two goals down against Rubin to salvage a draw. Not the best of starts for him, let's just say. Yeah, yeah, certainly not. And I meant, I must correct myself earlier, I missed out. Um, Gisdol's first game in charge in, in European competition, of course. So apologies to everyone for that. But uh, I agree. I thought it was a weird performance. Um, it was very attacking for a local side. What Obviously far from what you have expected from Lokomotiv in the recent years. Uh, it was just definitely signs of an, a Rangnick identity in there. And we discussed offline before the podcast, but... To quickly summarise, um, Ragnik generally prefers his players to play in a very attacking, very high pressing four-two-two-two formation. That was it. Was presumably it seemed like it was his direction that prompted Marko Nikolic to shift this season from his preferred diamonds to the four-two-two-two, and that kind of was the beginning of the end for for Nico because he was granting power to Rangnick, whether he had a choice or not. He was changing the size to suit the director, and you could just... And after that, the performances were just totally different. Um, So I wonder how much input Gisdol has and how much power Rangnick actually has over the side, as well as in the short and the long term. But just to quickly go through, um, we had left-back... Rebish playing at right back, left winger Tignizian playing at left back, midfielder Konstantin Maradashvili playing on the wing, while there was four a winger and four full packs left on the bench. David, could you explain? Do you think why is this Rangnick's influence? Mm, probably not. I don't think it is Rangnick's influence um, personally, because I think he would be smarter than to pick a team that disjointed. Um, uh, uh, my assumption is that, obviously, Gisdol's very new. 
he still doesn't know his squad properly, and he's probably got one of the longer-term coaches, one of the Russian coaches, is presumably um, picking the team. Um, you know, we, we've put our thoughts out on Tignesian before. Um, well, I have, I think. You know, as a left-back, I don't think he's all that. You know, you could have had him on the wing because you know, we, we talked about it before, he's, he's more apt going forward. So have him as a left mid if you're missing Comano and whoever else. Um, and Joram wasn't on the bench either, as I recall. So that that also dispelled the option of having him as the 10 and Riff out on the wing. Um, you know, they were missing a few players in the, in the attacking roles to be able to to mix things up. But the option is you've got Rybczynski or Tignesian who can both play on the wing. Uh, four full-backs on the bench so you could have a natural right-back. Um, not that the, not even that the left full-backs um, were at fault for the goal. Like The goal that um, Galatasaray scored was fantastic. Um, and if anything, it was the centre-back pairing. Uh, far too, you know, they must have been, I'd have to look at it back, but they must have been at least 20 yards apart, if not more. There was a huge gap in the middle that the uh, goal scorer, I don't know who scored it, was it Karyoglu? Um, ran into, you know, it was a fantastic move from Galatasaray. One touch passing, brilliant, brilliant through ball, um, but a huge gap for the defenders to to leave between the two of them. Um, so the fullback's not necessarily that that bad. Obviously, you're you're shifting it to be able to allow uh, a proper wide player to play instead of Maradishvili, uh, who I like as a player. But yeah, as you say, not. Not a wide player, especially not on the left. Um, you know, Petrov was on the bench. Even he's played on the left in the league, started in the league a couple of times. He's only 20, but um, yeah, he could play there as well. So, yeah, they, they had plenty of options to mix it up. I don't know why they why they didn't, why they tried to shoehorn the players into positions that they, they can't particularly play. It's, you know, it's almost like we're having the Spartak conversation all over again, except... They had the players of correct quality. They just didn't use them. Um, arguably, anyway, you know, if they put Rebus at left back, Tignesian on the wing, Maradishvili in midfield, potentially, or on the bench, whatever, and then Nenikov, Siljanov, or Zhivogliadov. Zhivogliadov actually did come on at some point when Loka were chasing a goal. Um, he came on for an attacker and played at right back. Um I can't even remember who he came on for, but he, he didn't replace a defender, that's for sure. Um, so they obviously noticed the issue at some point and decided, right, we should play a right back here. Um, but but yeah, you know, it was it was the it was the attack that was letting them down. The the defense for the goal was was the centre halves being far too far apart. But um, with the football that Galatasaray were playing, it was. Uh, it was difficult. And then obviously there was, I didn't notice it first, but um, I've seen it since that, yes, Guillerme definitely should have come for the ball. He was very hesitant and it left him sort of in a bit of no man's land. Um, he, he came out a little bit, he came out to what, at least 15 yards off his line, I think. And uh, that that ball was there to be gotten and he could have got that ball and cleared it, but he didn't. And, uh, you know, it was a finish and that was that. It was just... It was at a point in the game where I was happy for Loco to take the draw because 
they hadn't done all that much. Smolov, as you say, was not getting into the positions to score. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you said, on the weekend against my team, Rubin, they, they scored a banger in the 94th minute to equalise and they scored a nice goal through Smolov, actually. Some quick interplay in the box. Um, but it's one of those goals where it relied on some individual quality from Smolov to create the chance, which you can't always rely on that every week. Um, so yeah, it was it was not a good first impression for Gisdol. Um and we'll have to see where it goes with the team selection because you know that that the, the core of the squad is fairly good. You know, there's a good young core in there. Um, it's just getting them to play. You know, I, I we. We saw it, you know, if we go back to February, or no, not February because they weren't even playing, but you know, if we go back to the spring of last season, Kamano, Smolov and Jim Odino were just unplayable at times. Um, and this season it's been, you know, a whole different side to the story. Yeah, it's been totally different. I think I agree that the defence was generally fine. Um, it was that one error again that let them down, but that's the same in both Zenit and Logo's case, that one error is it's so costly. Um Guillaume, I totally agree, should have should have done better, should have been more commanding. But it, it is the attack that's certainly let them down. I thought Maradishvili, I'm not I, I don't rate him as highly as you do, David, for example, but I do think he's a he's a quality midfielder. Um totally wasted out on the left wing. I've no idea what the thinking was behind that. I know Rangnick likes quite narrow midfields at times. Um, but Maradishvili just had almost zero impetus on the game. I think he only completed like 14 passes in the entirety of the 90 minutes. Um, and it had a really poor game. I don't want to single him out because he, I guess we've said he was out of position. But this playing so many players out of position and changing it so much. I mean, Baranov came in and played centre mid. Against Rubin at the weekend, he played centre back. Like, there was just a lot of change between those two games. And lots of players out of position that just really disrupted the flow, and as a result, I don't know if I would. Uh, this is from Opta Ivan, Opta Ivan on Twitter. Um, Locomotive have failed to register a single shot on target in a European competition game for the first time since 2017. Um, you would have thought it would have been longer than only four years, but like I say, this it was just really disjointed with so many players out of position and not. It was just a poor attacking performance, like you said, David. It was just Smolov was awful. I think Rifat was probably Loco's bright spark from an attacking perspective, but even then, he only really had half chances, a couple from a little bit of range from the edge of the box that had um, rolled wide. But it was just a really underwhelming performance and week in Europe from the Russian clubs. Uh, I'll finish off with. The European discussion before quickly moving on to a little summary of some of the Premier League games by just highlighting an editorial in Regista. It's Regista one, and it's an editorial from their from their own Dmitry Skobolev, and he's basically went in depth on a little bit of an informal and quite emotional column um, regarding the double standards in the media. Um, I'll quickly read the start of it, but. He, Paraphrasing, he says that in the middle of the week, we again saw a heroic victory of Zenit with a score of 1 0 in favour of the opponent, and the usual nightmare Spartak again scoring three goals to win to beat their opponent. Obviously, highly sardonic. 
But in individual media, which so want to be positive in the context of the depressing performances, the champions of the country grab every opportunity. And basically what they then go in depth about, so Dimitri does, is he holds match premiere, uh, the match TV accounts, um, Sport Express, and others to a uh, champion at to account in their what he believes is inaccurate reporting of double standards. It's it, he literally says it was a depressing week in European football, as you can probably tell by our tone throughout. I, without putting words into your both your mouths, Stephen Richard, I think we can all agree it was a depressing week. Yeah, if you scroll any form of social media or sports website in major sports tabloid website in Russia. It's almost like it's the opposite. It's like, oh, well, Spartak scored three goals. Zenit nearly got the win against Juventus. And this is why he goes on to saying it's it's just all kind of like... <laughs> just creating a narrative that was just so far from the truth. And I highly recommend everyone to give it a little editorial a read. Um, and he ends it with here... Uh, in the meantime, everyone is happy with everything. We will continue to observe how the work of some is devalued and the achievements of the latter are overestimated, creating a positive background where it should not be. So it's quite a good article. Um, just looking at the media's reaction towards the European results once again. So it's... I, I do recommend it highly and it's it's nice to see Regista, the guys at Regista who do some excellent tactical work moving beyond the tactics and talking about more generic things in uh, topics within Russian football. But we'll move on now to the quick summary of the Premier League games. Uh, David, I think we're going to have to start with yourself and Ruby and Loco, considering we are on the topic of Loco and you, you kind of briefly mentioned it there. But how do you think the game was at the weekend? Um, well, unfortunately, I missed. Uh, I was unavailable to watch any of the Saturday matches, which was a shame because they were four great matches, but uh, I've seen the highlights and during the day I was getting messages from Ilya, who obviously is our, our resident Loco fan, and he was saying, oh, well, you were so lucky, you weren't playing good football, but I saw the highlights and man, we were so unlucky. Um, we, had, we had good chances, um, aside from the two goals that we'd scored, um, we had a goal disallowed early on, which was mm, tetchy, disallow or best for a foul uh, in the midfield. Um, and we had to, we had, I mean, we had to ruin it because, you know, we had chances to kill the game and, you know, hold the game up. Uh, we allowed them one chance at the end and, uh, well, not even a chance, you know, we allowed Jim out of enough space for a, a long shot from 20 odd yards and it flew into the top corner. Um, and you know, what can you do about that? Uh, sort of special goal, but, um, without seeing the whole game, obviously Ruben have been on not the best of form. I don't think we won in six league games now. Lots of draws uh, and a couple of losses in there. But it seemed like a better performance. It seemed like a step up and the, the players' reactions, the interviews and their comments on social media, they knew they'd, pl- they'd been playing better uh, in that game than previous games. So that was good. Um, and we've got a big game this weekend at Ufa away where, you know, obviously Ufa, I like Ufa, but they're bottom of the league at the moment and we, we need to go in get the points against them. They're likely to be without Agalarov, who, who picked up an injury last week against Krasnodar. Um, so we really need to go out there and, and get some get some points, get uh, get back on the road and try and climb up the league again because we're, we're stuck in mid-table in a little bit of a funk at the moment. Um, 
they, it seemed like a step in the right direction for us and that Loco got got a bit lucky with, with coming back for the point in that in that game. Yeah, I think they did get a little bit lucky, as you said, with that 94th, was it 94th minute uh, goal from Rifat? It was an excellent goal, don't get me wrong, but relying on such a late equaliser like that, they was, they were a little bit lucky. Um, it was good to see Maxim Petrov get a game, which was, I think, was his first start of the season, if I'm right in saying. Second, I think. Second, right. It, it's, it was good to see him. Um, that is the side of... Rangnick that you would expect to see where the youngsters are coming in and getting given a chance, the pathways to the first team opening up, which is always a good thing for any form of development in Russia. Um, Richard, Spartak Dynamo, the big Moscow derby last weekend, resulted in 2-2. What did you think of the game? Yeah, I'd say I I didn't catch many of the Saturday games myself, so I was was watching off the highlights. Um, Yeah... Dinamo, I've got to say, like one of the goals obviously came from a corner, wasn't it? It was an Ivan Orbitz glancing header at a corner. They, they, I'll, I'll give Dinamo one thing, you know, the the passing between the lines on the Schwartz has been lauded and, and praised, but they're also very good at set pieces too. They're good at those corners where it's a glancing header at the near post. They're good at getting it into those areas. I've seen them score quite a number of goals actually from those kind of corners in in um, in recent weeks. They got one last night in the match day twelve victory over over Himke. I think I got two goals from corners actually last night. Um, and yeah, they, they got 2-0 up in this game. Uh, Chukarvin took the second goal after Ivan Ordets had put the inner head. Chukarvin took the second goal very well. You know, um, nice composed finish. But I'll bring you to um, a moment on 82 minutes where I think Chukarvin got put through at 2-0 up. And um, I think the touch probably wasn't the best and he, he shot wide. And then the game changed on that and Spartak just went up the other end and scored two late goals to salvage a 2-2 draw. Now, a 2-2 draw in isolation away at Spartak is not the worst result for Dinamo. If you offered probably offered Dinamo that pre-game, they would have taken it. But when you're two goals up in a game, you got to win it, really. And, you know, the two carving missed chance on 82 minutes, that would have buried it. Um, and it, it's been a theme of Dinamo a bit in the last couple of weeks. You know, the probably missed opportunities is probably a good summary to look at their last maybe four or five games in the RPL. The, the curious, curious thing is is the games I was probably less confident that they'd win against Rubin at home and against Sochi away, they've won. And yet the games that I was pretty confident that they were going to win against Nishi Novgorod and Krilia at home, they, they've they've lost. So, I mean, after last night's 4-1 win against against Himke, they're, they're now level on top of the RPL with Zenit, having played a game more. And they've got Zenit next Friday, which should be a fantastic game um, at um, in St. Petersburg. But you just wonder, had they had they beaten Nishni at home and had they held on against Spartak, that's another five points. And I think if there is going to be a challenge to Zenit this season, now's the time for someone to really go for it. While Zenit are tied up with European commitments, this is now the chance for a team to put some pressure on them. And don't get me wrong, still a lot of praise and credit for what Dinamo are doing, but those five points, could they be crucial at the end of the season? I, I, I think they will finish top five and qualify for Europe, but so, and you know, certainly not wanting to be too negative about it. The, the play is, is overall improving so much, but just, yeah, just letting those three, two points go at the end like that against Spartak is frustrating. Um, but yeah, still more positives than negatives. Um, great to see Zakarian getting amongst the assists. Good to see Chu carving up in his goal or goal scoring rate in, in recent weeks. So still more positives than negatives, but yeah, just you feel missed opportunities really. Um, but hopefully um, they can soon start, you know, picking up some more points, picking up more points, and not letting 
games go, which they should they shouldn't be drawing or losing. But yeah, overall more positives than negatives. So yeah, happy enough. Yeah, certainly. And from the Spartak perspective, it was again another man of the match performance from Georges Zizikia. I think he's having his best season at Spartak, to be frank. I think he's been absolutely outstanding for the vast majority of games this season, defensively, and now he scored scored as well. It was both defenders, actually, for those who may not have realised, who got the late goals for Spartak in that, re- in that return. Um, I'll tackle Arsenal's Zenit myself very quickly. Um, Zenit, Arsenal beat Zenit 2-1 in a surprise result. They Zenit had 72% possession, 26 shots on goal, 9 on target. It was an absolute dominant p- performance in terms of possession from, from Zenit. Um, Malcolm was absolutely brilliant. He may not have scored on the day, but I think he did uh, set up the Artem Zubez goal and just was a, a general menace for, for, for two Arsenals throughout. Um, however, Arsenal were good value for the win. I thought they were excellent defensively. They went up early with a nice, well-worked counter-attacking goal with an interplay from Klusevich, uh, Zariko, and <coughs> pardon me, and Yevgeny Markov up top really nicely worked, and then just sat back, soaked up the pressure, and it was only the very last minute, eighty-eighth uh, minute, when when Zenit finally found the way through, equalised. Um, Malcolm finding space, typical cross into the box, Zuba totally free. Uros Radakovic, unfortunately, just giving Zuba far too much space. You can't give a man like that space, and you know exactly what Zuba will do. Uh, Anton Kachenkov in goal was excellent. It was one of his better performances in, to be honest, he's actually having quite a solid season for Arsenal. He's been one of their bright lights, even when they were not performing as well. Uh, Maxim Belyaev back to his best. I thought he was excellent. And then in the very last minute, Kings Kangwa absolutely pinging one top bins to take the game. He was brilliant. I have no idea why he hasn't been the first name on Arsenal's team sheet throughout the entirety of the season because whenever he plays, he just makes a marked advantage. The last two games now, I think, against Simki and, and Zenit, he's, he's been excellent in both of them. Um, Arsenal themselves starting to show some signs of revival uh, after a terrible start. Of course, they're now currently like 12th. They're out of the bottom four. And I think they've only lost one in six in the league and in all competitions. Uh, that was away to Ural. But in that time, they've drew with Siska, beat Nizhny away, uh, demolished Dinamo Bryansk in the Cup, drew with Himki, and, and then beat Zenit, which was the, the big scalp. So that's since getting rid of Dmitry Parfionov and bringing in Miodrag Bozovic. It's been a marked improvement on the defensive work. Parfionov just does not have a clue how to set up any team to to keep it solid defensively. I've never seen a manager so inept at doing so in the RPL, to be quite frank. So I think that's they've got a good core of a squad there. Um, the midfield in particular, Zarico's got lots of potential, maybe not quite fulfilled it yet, but Kings, Chowchich, Tukachov is one of the better midfields in the bottom amongst the relegation fight. Uh, Daniel Krusevich is probably going to get a big move to a bigger club in the near future. I think he's been Arsenal's best player this season. And I've also been impressed with uh, young Stepanov on loan from Rubin. And 
So it's it was just about sorting that defence out, really. Uh, I still don't rate Yevgeny Markov whatsoever. I think he's largely a waste of space. I think he was pretty poor <laughs> against Senate. Um, yes, he was isolated and did very much just a hard work job. But they, if they can get Yevgeny Lutsenko in the form that he was in 18 months to two years ago, maybe get Evans Kangwa in the form when, they, when those two are really performing really well alongside each other, then they'll, they'll probably be all right for the season because Bozovic just knows how to survive in this league. Uh, David, Sochi and Rostov was a really entertaining game. Want to give us a quick summary of that one before we go? Yeah, I mean, Rostov, just absolutely dreadful again, to be honest. Um, <laughs> really, really struggling to get anything going this season. Um, Sochi come out. It's such a pain to see Sochi playing well domestically, knowing that obviously they they fell out in Europe on penalties and, you know, only got to penalties because of a last minute howler from, from Janiyev, wasn't it, as I recall. Um, yeah, it's a tough one because they're playing really well. You know, they they tore, I mean, they were 3 0 at half time. They could have been 4 or 5 uh, before half time against Rostov. Um, Rostov didn't really do much to, granted, it ended 3 2, but they scored off a set piece uh, and then they scored a consolation in the last minute. Um, you know, and that even that was, was lucky. You know, it was, it was a shot which just got deflected to Ali Sal. Um, so yes, Sochi more than more than worth their their position in the top four um, right now. You know, them and Dinamo are both casualties that we've seen fall out of uh, Europe in early hurdles in the last two seasons. Uh, if Dinamo had pulled off that win against Spartak, they would be top of the league right now after their win against Kinki. Granted, they're still joint top, but Zenit have a game in hand, um, and Sochi are flying as well. So. Um, you know, it's going really well for Sochi. They're, they've kept it up. I wasn't sure they would keep it up after last season. They didn't do a full rebuild. They kept it. They kept a lot of their squad together, which uh, I know Hanu particularly was not pleased about. He wanted a full rebuild because he wanted some of the, uh, as he would say, frauds out. But um, they've been keeping it going. Naboa's not been as influential, but it's still going good. So, um, yeah, good for them. Terrible for Rostov, you know. Nine points from 11 games is 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 not the best. Uh, record. Yeah, certainly not. Rostov in big trouble this season. Like you said, nine points from 11 games. They've only scored... Uh, sorry, they've only got two wins all season. They are scoring goals. They've scored 15 goals, which is more than anybody in the bottom half of the table, aside from Rubin. Uh, but conceding 23 is just... that uh, This in, in 11 games is, is already a hell of a lot. Um it's going to be a long season for them. I think that's pretty obvious to say. Uh, already onto the second manager and Zara Tadeev. And they're going to need some serious, find some, do some serious work in the transfer window if they're going to get out of this problem that this rut that they're in and try and do the the what Rostov of old and try and find some gems from maybe some more unknown markets out there to try and turn things around. But to quickly. Just go ahead of some of the, uh, re- discuss some of the games ahead of this weekend. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, Dinamo beat Kimki last night four one. That was the first game of this game week twelve. Uh, today we have Nizhny Krasnodar, which is as the time of recording, literally just about to kick off. Uh, Rostov Arsenal, Siska Krilia, and then on Sunday Ufa Rubin, Ahmad Ural, 
biggest game of the weekend, probably by quite some distance. Uh, Zenith Spartak, and then on Monday, Loco versus Sochi. We'll be back next week at the more regular time, obviously with no European games, to discuss all of all of this and give you some of the fallout from some of the big games this weekend. But for now, this has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет